The Bob Murphy Show, episode 164. Get ready for another episode of The Bob Murphy Show, the podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. It's your source for commentary and interviews conducted by a Christian and economist. Now here's your host, Bob Murphy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. This one, we've got some broccoli, but then we have ice cream. Right, I'm going to be talking about masks vis-a-vis COVID-19. And that will keep you interested, I suppose, because I'm going to give the actual real-world incident that sparked this episode. And so that'll be better than me just giving this abstract point. But the reason for me doing this is that it was the reaction to the point I made on Twitter regarding masks. And just the, the answers I was getting, I was seeing that people... I'm just going to come out and say it. I'm I'm trying to tiptoe around it, but you know what? I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings, but here it goes. A lot of people just don't know how to argue, all right? And I don't mean like, oh, they do a bad job or they waste time. I'm saying most of what people throw back at me at Twitter, it's like, that's not a valid response to what I just said. I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong. I'm saying it's like you're swinging with a golf club. It's something that's five feet to the left of me. And I'm just like, no, I'm I'm over here. Like you're, you're not even addressing my argument. Right, like if you come in with a golf club, maybe I'll grab it and then just you know take it from you and so forth. You know, so th- just because you're swinging at me doesn't mean you're going to win. In fact, as a superhero pacifist, you come in with a golf club, not only are you not going to win, I'm going to take it from you and not have to hurt you. That's how much of a bad you know what pacifist I am. So, but you see the distinction. I'm saying you're but you're swinging the golf club five feet to the left of me. It's, it's what, what are you doing? We're not even having a, a, a debate here, okay? And so that's that's the reason I'm actually doing this is because, and it, it's not just with this one, I see this all the time. And I'm, so my point in doing this is just to say something that to me is obvious, but you know what? It's obvious to me that, hey, if you don't like monopolies, you should privatize the police and the military. But yet a lot of people would think that was a crazy thing I just said, right? So anyway, let me go ahead and walk through the framework of this. Like I say, in the beginning, especially if you're really against mask mandates, you're going to be mad at me. It's going to sound like I'm betraying you. But don't worry, there's a present at the end. I'm not even going to tell you what it is because I want you to have to sit here and, and listen to the broccoli or eat the broccoli, one of the two. If you listen to the broccoli, you're probably not going to learn too much, are you? Okay. So incidentally, I can do very good VeggieTales voices. So I'm waiting for our new son to get old enough so that he can fully appreciate the fact. Really what's going to happen, he's not going to have any idea. He's going to think every kid's dad can sound just like, what is it, Larry the Cucumber and Bob the Tomato, pretty sure. I do the other ones too, the Pirates, do those guys, really good. My son's going to just think that's normal. And what I'm going to have to do is say, hey, when you go over to your friend's house, ask his dad to do VeggieTales voices. And my son's just going to be like, what, what, you, what is that? that? No, no, do the voices. Like that's, that's, anyway. I didn't set out to tell you guys about VeggieTales. What I set out to tell you is there is a frequent mistake that people make in that they can't understand the difference between the premise and the conclusion being true in an argument 
versus the argument itself being a valid one. Okay, so let me first just give you the context and how this originally came up about the masks. So I noticed on Twitter, whenever this was a few days ago, I'll, no, I'm not even going to link to my tweets because I don't want to embarrass anybody who may have participated in that exchange. But the point was, I saw someone early in the day arguing along the lines of, it was in response to, I won't say who it was, but it was someone that I used to host a podcast with. Okay, but I'm not saying who, I just, you know, let, let's let anonymity. So that person, who shall remain nameless, made a tweet about the lack of correlation between mask mandates and infection rates or something, right? And by the way, that's, I'm not knocking that. that that's a valid point. I haven't looked into that stuff, but I'm assuming this person is being correct when saying when you look at these charts, you would have no idea what if, the, if you took the names off, you know, which when the, if you just look at their mask policy, you would have no idea of, you know, that, that would give you no information about what to think right now about their infection rates. That's, I think that's the claim the guy made. And he's totally right as far as I can tell. And I, I believe him. I have no reason to think that's not a, of a good point. Okay. But in response to that, somebody sarcastically said, or no, no, it wasn't sarcastic. This one was earnest in earnestness said, we, um, in my country, we haven't had a new coronavirus case in two weeks and yet we still have a mask mandate. All right. And so the person didn't type this out, but I took that to be saying, if you're in a country where there aren't a high rate of new coronavirus cases, then that means it's stupid for you to have a mask policy. Or in other words, that means a mask policy would be a bad idea or a bad policy, right? Okay, fair, fair enough. You can understand where the person's coming from, why I would say that. But then on somebody else's thread, and I think, that, again, I'm not going to name the name. I think this was a guy who has changed his Twitter handle several times in the recent past, leading some to speculate that he is in fact an FBI agent. I can neither confirm nor deny that. But on this guy's thing, he also was railing against masks. And someone said, oh, I see that the you know, daily case rate has hit all-time records now in the US, but, but, there's, but the you know, check marks or whoever, but the follow the science crowd is still gonna tell us that mask mandates work, right? Okay. So again, he was, but I think we can accurately distill the message of that tweet down to saying, if you're in a country with a very high daily case rate, new case rate, then it's clear that mask mandates in that situation are a bad policy, right? And you can understand why somebody would say that. Okay. But my concern was, although it's perfectly acceptable and reasonable for someone to who is against mask mandates to think either of those is a compelling argument. It is illegitimate to think both of them are valid arguments or compelling arguments, right? Because otherwise, if, if you think that, like if, if I explain each one of them to you, you are like, yes, yes, I like what you've done here. If, that was, if that's you on both of them, then I'm telling you, no, there you've done something wrong. You're, and this is, it's not that what you're doing is some sin unique to libertarians who hate grandma. It is, this happens all the time. Like, like I made a career making fun of Paul Krugman when he would do this with, again, this other host. I, it wasn't my podcast. I, I shared it with this other guy, but I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to give it away. So 
Kruma would do that all the time, specifically where in one argument he would make, you know, he would say, well, if we assume that, you know, there's, there's like a few things to turn the dials on in terms of the parameters of this thought experiment we're going to run. And so let me adjust those parameters. And yeah, yeah, those are reasonable settings to put those dials on, Paul. Okay. And then when I look at this economic situation or this claim, the way the world would evolve in with these settings I've put in the simulation, notice empirically we'd expect to see this. So if you look at the real data from the actual world, we see such and such, and that allows us, you know, in the world of this thought experiment we've just done or this simulation that we've just constructed, what would seeing this real world data lead us to believe is going on and blah, blah, blah. Okay, sure enough, Paul Krugman, fair enough. But then in a different article, when the, you know, what, so we're no longer talking like about the minimum wage, let's say now we're talking about, I don't know, uh, environmental mandates in terms of carbon dioxide emissions or something, you know, some other unrelated thing where the economics is a little different, not like the body of economic law, but you get what I'm saying, like the applications and the type of principles you would invoke in this setting. Krugman, again, wants to run a thought experiment to like judge the real world data and to interpret it. And so what he does there is he sets the dials in a different way. So if you were just looking at that second column in order for him to like defend whatever environmental mandate or something he's doing, the way he calibrated the simulation in order to then go judge the real world data, again, there's nothing completely implausible about it, but the point is he changed the dials. And if he had kept the dials the same between the two articles, then he would have needed to reach the opposite conclusion in one of them. But since he already knew what the conclusion he wanted was ahead of time, he knew I need to turn the dials in this fashion in order to make sure the thought experiment leads me to interpret the data, which I already know how they, how they shake out. I've already looked before I wrote my column, such that the pro-interventionist Keynesian solution seems to be the correct thing to do. And so he knows he wants that to be the answer in both cases. So he makes sure he picks the initial assumptions about how the world works or what factors we're going to consider that, that it's actually more the latter thing. It's just to say, well, you know, there's lots of different causal relationships going on. So you only have to, you have to isolate a few of them for your thought experiment. So which ones do you pay attention to and which ones you just assume away? Maybe that's a way of saying what's going on. When I say just the dials, I'm saying Krugman changes which ones he includes in his thought experiment to make sure it ends up being the, well, I guess I don't know what his motive was, but the result is it just so happens it always favors the Keynesian pro-interventionist solution, even though he had to change the assumptions he was working with in either case. Okay, so likewise, with the mask thing, I'm saying if you agreed with both of those that I just went through, then you're doing the same kind of move Krugman would do. So it's not that in either one, you have to be crazy to come up with a story, but what is true is the assumptions you're going to make or the way you're going to calibrate the dials when you decide here's the simulation about the world and how the virus is transmitted that we're going to make for the purposes of a thought experiment to see what would the caseload look like based, you know, if it were the case that masks worked or if masks didn't work, then what does that lead us to go look for? I'm saying you've adjusted the dials so that both ways it gives you the answer that you wanted, which is that mask mandates are stupid or don't work, right? So let me, so what I did is I tweeted out. I said, today on Twitter, I've noticed, I've seen arguments or critics of mask mandates argue that number one, 
having zero new cases means mask mandates don't work, or sorry, I said proves mask mandates don't work, and two, having a record number of high cases proves that mask mandates don't work. Discuss, all right? And so in reaction to that, like some people were saying, no, those are both perfectly valid. What are you talking about? And, and I'm arguing that no. So, so one guy said, yeah, Bob, that's totally fine. Mask mandates are dumb regardless of the cases. And so I answered, I said, yeah, you're right. I agree with you. It's not only that I'm saying that's a reasonable position for you to have. I actually believe that myself. Regardless of the caseload or whatever the pattern is, I'm against coercion. And so on that ground alone, from a principled perspective, say, no, I, the government shouldn't be telling business owners or you know, individuals they have to either enforce mask mandates in their buildings or to consumer or citizens that you have to wear a mask when you go outside and blah, blah, blah. But that's, that's wrong. I think businesses should have the right to do whatever they want on their property so that, you know, store owners can say, I, as the store owner, want you to just like, you know, no shirt, no shoes, no service, right? You could say it like that. And so you add no mask to it, right? So, so that's, it, it's, it's, it's the mandate. And, and by the way, let me just, I'll say that right now because I don't want to forget. Make sure you're not interchanging those two things. You can be against mask, man, against mask mandates, but still think masks are a good idea. I mean, you could do both. And so I'm just pointing out a lot of the libertarians who are against mask mandates. I see you swinging for the fences and just going full board. Masks don't do anything or even masks are so bad they'll actually cause you to catch the virus, which should be fine because apparently it's just like the flu, right? But in any event, the thing, the virus does a complete hoax and no one needs to worry about. Masks are really bad because it might make you catch that completely innocuous thing, right? I'm sure you've seen that. So my point is, if, yeah, if you believe that, okay, fine. And you can say we're reaching out to people who are fine with mandates. I get that. But I'm saying if actually you're, the real thing that you're against is the coercion, then you, know, you might want to focus on that as well. Folks, let's take a break from the discussion for me to once again remind you that if you like what you hear, you like the guests that I bring on and the perspective I offer in the solo episodes, by all means, consider making a contribution. The more such contributions I get, the more episodes I can do per month just as a justification for using my scarce labor hours on this outlet that I love, but yet does not fully pay the bills. And so I can only do it part-time thus far. For details on how you can do that and all the special bonuses, depending on your level of contribution, go to bobmurphyshow.com slash contribute. Let me just mention, if you've made a qualifying contribution and you're supposed to get let into the Facebook seeker group, shh, it's a secret. And it's been more than two weeks since you've made the contribution and I haven't gotten back to you. That means I somehow missed the note in my inbox. And so don't be shy. Please get in touch and just let me know. Uh, make sure that I get everybody in there who's supposed to be in there. Last thing I'll mention is whether you contribute or not, another way you can certainly help is subscribe to me on YouTube. And when you come across an episode that you realize some of your friends might be interested in or, you know, a coworker, and I'm going to be trying to make more episodes that are catering to someone who's not a true believer, as it were, then sharing the episodes with people like that is another great way for me to get the podcast out in front of more people. Thanks everybody for your support and let's get back to the episode. Okay. So as I say, I myself am against mask mandates. 
and partly why, you know, why I don't want the government to be in charge of that stuff. Because as many of you longtime listeners know, I live with someone who has lung issues. And so we were wearing N95 masks right away, right in the beginning when Fauci et al. were telling us not to wear masks, right? So that's why I don't want government mask mandates. It's not because I'm downplaying the significance of masks. It's because once you give the government the right to say who can use masks or not, or whether they have to, what happens if they make the wrong decision like they did early in the pandemic, according to the current people, you know, the current experts, they would have to say, oh yeah, in the beginning, or what's even more sinister is some of them flat out say, oh no, they knew masks were good back then and they just wanted to reserve for healthcare workers. But they knew if they told the public, yeah, masks work just fine, but don't you hoard them right now, save them for the healthcare workers, the people were going to go out and, and buy them anyway, not care. And so that's why they just flat out lied and said, yeah, masks don't work. You don't need a mask. Don't worry about it. Just just wash your hands and stay away from people. When really behind the scenes, they were just doing that because of the shortage of PPE in the hospitals. So some people just flat out come just say that just flat out. In which case, okay, okay, fair enough. But in any event, I'm just saying that's partly why I don't trust the government to talk about masks, is because we've been using them the whole time before they were cool. So there, so there is just another thing too about that is also. What you to really do the slam dunk is you could say if you're arguing with someone who thinks masks are effective and that's why they should be mandated, is you could make the argument say, look, on principle, I'm against the coercion. But notice if masks are effective, then by you mandating them, you you lead to this this resentful backlash. And so there's a lot of people who don't wear the mask out of spite. And then it brings in politicized scientific analysis, right? If you're being forced to do something, people who are against the policy can go dig up research that casts it in a bad light, even if that's not really a fair survey of the literature. If they're like cherry picking studies because they want to go find studies that say masks don't work because they're so mad that they're being forced to do it, right? And then their friends who also think it's stupid that they're being forced to do this and being treated like children, they'll, they'll pass those articles around. Whereas if there's no mandate, then there's no reason to go find studies. You know, people are just like, I don't, I don't know. It's like saying, is string theory good or not? And, you know, most people don't have a dog in that fight. So I don't know. I guess I go ask some physicists and cosmologists. And I don't care, right? Whereas the mask thing, like all of a sudden everybody's an expert because they're mad about this thing. It's, polit- it's been politicized, right? So you could, you could make that argument. But even beyond that too, I mean, I've made this point before, but I'll just say it again. I wish there weren't a mandate because then stores would set their own policies. And so the one store, like the one grocery store in town that said, hey, you know, Thursday morning from 6 a.m. to noon, we're going to have a very strictly enforced mask policy. Everyone come in. And it's not just any old piece of cloth. Like you got to have a, a tight fitting or well fitting mask and so on before we let you in. The only people who are going to shop at that time are going to be the people who are really taking it seriously. So they can know everybody else in the store is wearing the mask. Whereas you have this one-size-fits-all mandate. Now every grocery store, when you go in there, even if you're vulnerable, you're shopping for somebody at the nursing home or whatever. Because by the way, folks, when you say, oh, just let's protect the vulnerable. We'll just isolate them over here. Are they not going to eat for six months? Right? Someone still has to go get food for them and bring it in, whether it's a, a worker at the facility or their relatives or whatever. So you still, those people would still want to go shop somewhere and have a mask on. Or like me, I'm not vulnerable, but I live with someone who is. So if I go shopping, I want to have a mask on and I don't want to be shopping next to someone who's positive for uh, the coronavirus. Or I guess you're positive for SARS-CoV-2. 
right? Other things equal. I'm not saying I want the government to shoot the guy or do anything really, <laughs> I'm just, but I'm just saying other things equal. So I would like, I would go shop at a store like that if, if you know, there was one store that had those things so I could know. Whereas now I'm walking down the frozen food aisle next to, uh, I toyed with singing the Dan Fogelberg song, but I don't want my voice to crack. Fogelberg really gets up there, so I'm not going to try that right now. Um, I'm walking shoulder to shoulder with somebody who doesn't take the mask stuff seriously. And, by, oh, the other thing too, it's not just whether they take the mask mandate seriously, they live more dangerous lifestyles vis-a-vis coronavirus, right? Whereas if I'm shopping with people who all take it very seriously, it's not only that they're going to have a, a well-fitting mask on, but I know when they go out, they're probably not going to be, you know, going to a BLM march. See what I did there? You see? So that's because they're going to go right home because they're self-quarantining because they want to, actually they're self-isolating or self-locking down. Quarantine, really, this is my pet peeve. People are referring to this thing as a quarantine. It's not a quarantine. Quarantine is when you've been exposed and then they keep you aside to see if you get sick or if enough time passes. So, oh, you didn't get it. Even though then they let you back in the general population. That's what quarantine is. Like if a ship's coming from somewhere and you don't know, like maybe they got leprosy, you'd quarantine them and then let them back, you know, into port. Okay. So quarantine is not where you just general people, or it's also not what you do with the sick people, those you isolate, right? So there's something going on. This is the first time in history that we've quarantined people who aren't sick. That's not how anyone's ever done this before. And no, that's not actually the first time in history that we've quarantined anyone who's not sick. By its nature, quarantine is designed for people who are not symptomatic and yet have been exposed, so they might become sick. And so you don't know, but you want to hold them aside before you let them in the general population. That's what quarantine is, strictly speaking. So, you know, anyway, okay. Here, I'm just, now I'm just nitpicking. So, back to the argumentation. You see how that can't be, you can't be saying to someone who thinks mask mandates are a good idea and that they're efficacious, you can't say to them, okay, well, let's go look at the data and, and, and assess whether my theory is right or your theory is right. Because for the sake of argument, I'm admitting maybe you're right. So I'm going to go to try to get, let's go look at the data. So I'm not just making assertions. You're not just making sure. We're going to say, what would the world look like if I were right or if you were right? And then we'll go look at the data and see what they tell us, right? That's what you're doing. And so if that, if that is the enterprise, you're not making, you know, a priori argument. You're saying something based on, you know, you're, you're going through the motions of let's appeal to the data or at least get some input from them to help us decide on this, what is apparently an empirical question, whether mask mandates work or not. It can't be that, okay, so if we see zero new cases, then clearly the mask mandate doesn't work or is stupid, is unnecessary. And then also, if we go look and there's a record high number of cases, well, then clearly the mask mandate is a bad policy, all right? Because somebody else you know, thinking that would believe it, at least one of the other cases, right? So in other words, suppose masks worked really well and then you looked and you saw zero cases, right? Why would that shock you? You'd say, yeah, these masks are kicking butt. That's the whole point. We want to drive things down, right? So by the way, folks, I understand there's, as I'm saying this, there's a complicated interaction and you could come up with all kinds of ways to make the observations consistent with your theory, right? Like, for example, if there were no new cases for 12 years straight, then you'd say a mask policy is bad 
because it's unnecessary, not because it doesn't work, but because there's no reason for something that does, quote, work in the absence of a threat. I get that. But somebody who's for mask mandates, clearly a two-week span is not enough. And in any event, they are extrapolating to the larger point of mask policies are bad in the U.S. too, right? So th that's what I'm, these, you know, these fine distinctions I'm trying to get at here, all right? So now, whether you like my handling of the mask thing or not, or if you think it's unfair that I squeezed, like, I, I, like as if they were Play-Doh and I kind of squished their actual position around to make it fit my argument, if you want to say that, fine. You might even be right. Who knows? The important thing, though, is I want to make this point about argumentation where you can have an if then, and both the premise and the conclusion can be true, and yet it's an invalid argument, right? So, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because in response to what I was saying, a lot of people were just, they were saying things like, oh, so Bob, so you're for mask mandates? Like they didn't see the possibility that all I was doing was saying, this is not a good argument for, or again, more specifically, I'm saying, if you believe one, then you shouldn't believe the other, right? If seeing record low cases makes you think, oh, what mask mandates? Or if you see record high cases, you think, ah, mask mandates. There's something weird about that. Or at least you should be aware that, yeah, there is something weird super, and, you know, to, to make sure you refine your position to make sure you're not just, again, adjusting the dials to get the answer you want to pop out, which is that you don't like mask mandates. And so you want them to look stupid based on the data. Because you don't want to just be an ideologue. You want to show, no, no, I'm being practical here. I'm looking at the numbers. Come on, you're, you're not. And, and so again, you see, someone who's looking at the numbers and likes mask mandates and is really sure that's what the leading scientists say, they're going to look at a country that has zero new cases and a strict mask policy and say, yeah, see, masks work. I guess maybe, I hope me by saying that, you guys at least see what I'm doing here. I'm trying to say you can't point to something that your opponent would also think was a slam dunk for his position and then think you blew him up. I guess that's another way of making the point I'm trying to make here. And so anyway, when I was talking like this, some people were pushing back against me going, Bob, what are you, for mask mandates? And no, I can say something's not a good argument or you need to refine this before you deploy it again in battle, even though I'm on your team, right? If the team is, I'm, we're, we're all against mandates for masks, all right? It's like I saw one time a Christian arguing with somebody about the Bible and whether it was true or not you know, because the, 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 the secular guy was making the argument, yeah, there might be some good fables in there and, you know, some life lessons, maybe some morality. There's also some crazy stuff too, don't get me wrong, but I could see how some people would, as a book of literature would derive, but come on, this isn't historical fact. Give me a break. This isn't a history book, right? It's people saying stuff like that. And the other guy, the Christian, the Bible-believing Christian goes, no, of course, it's the inspired word of God and gives some quotes from scripture to say that scripture is true. So that is an invalid argument, right? Even though I believe that scripture is the inspired word of God and that the Bible is true, right? I could say, I can recognize that that Christian in that argument was saying, was giving a bad argument that bounced off the atheist guy. Well, I don't know if he was an atheist, but the guy who didn't believe in the Bible, understandably so. Like I could see him thinking, what, what are you kidding me? So likewise here, just because I'm pointing out, hey, you, my buddies here on Twitter, I've seen a lot of you without taking a breath will say low cases means mask mandates are stupid and high cases means mask mandates are stupid. 
you might want to think through that a little bit. You see there's at least a potential problem and why you arguing with somebody else that's going to bounce off them. Because in fairness, the other people would think the flip side, right? They would say low case numbers mean masks work, so the mandates are cool. And record high numbers mean we really need to have those mask mandates, uh, masks in usage, right? Now more than ever, because look at how high the caseload is. So I agree, and maybe that will help placate you if you're mad at me this whole episode up till now. The other side does the mirror image of what you do, and so they're wrong too. Okay. One more example of this is uh, Jeremy Siegel when he was trying to defend the efficient markets hypothesis after the 2008 meltdown said this. The EMH, originally put forth by Eugene Fama at the University of Chicago in the 1960s, states that the price of securities reflect all known information that impacts their value. The hypothesis does not claim that the market price is always right. On the contrary, it implies that the prices in the market are mostly wrong, but at any given moment, it is not at all easy to say whether they are too high or too low. The fact that the best and brightest on Wall Street made so many mistakes shows how hard it is to beat the market. Okay, so that was Jeremy Siegel. And then here's my comment. This was from a Mises.org article. I'll link. So it's bobmurphyshow.com slash 164 to get the links to this stuff. So here's what I said to that. Siegel is to be congratulated for his masterful stroke here. During the bubble, when investment bankers were earning multi-million dollar bonuses, the defender of the EMH, the efficient markets hypothesis, would have said, it's crazy for an average investor to try to beat the market. Some of the brightest minds in the world have enormous computers and an army of mathematicians at their service, squeezing every ounce of mispricing from the market. Don't bother trying to compete with those experts. Put your money in an index fund instead. So that's the quote I attributed to them, you know, to the EMH defender a la 2006. So now this is me again. Yet, after many Austrians and others from different schools of thought predicted that the market would crash and that investors should get into cash, Siegel points to the monumentally incompetent investment bankers as proof of the wisdom of the market. Okay, so more specifically, the reason I, I hearken back to this classic, classic article that I wrote um, is that it illustrates the same thing. What Siegel's doing there or what I'm saying the generic EMH person's doing is whether the stock market's riding high and everything seems great and people are making money hand over fist, they'll say, see, that's proof that the market's efficient or it's hard to beat the market. And then when there's a huge crash, justifying the fears of some who are saying housing is in a huge bubble, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, ha, ha, ha. And there's a giant crash, and a lot of people lose a lot of money, to then point to that and say, yeah, you see how hard it is to beat the market? Some of the best minds got wiped out. Whew, man, that market's efficient. So no, no, no. It can't be that both demonstrate the efficiency of the market. Now, what you can do is believe in the efficient markets hypothesis just as an a priori thing, like just thinking through the logic of it and to say, well, yeah, as long as people are allowed to, you know, keep their capital gains without too much blah, 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 I would, you know, there's no other institutional frictions that are too severe. We would expect the market price at any given time to reflect all publicly known information, at least subject to the, you know, the, the transaction costs of exploiting information that doesn't give you too much of an edge. Then, no matter what I see in the prices, I would believe that's consistent with the efficient markets hypothesis being true, because I can kind of prove like any deviation from it would itself reflect some sort of efficiency if I construct, you know, the model in such a way. And so therefore, whatever, you know, I, I'm going to open up the window and look and go see, or I'm going to pull out the Wall Street Journal or the Bloomberg Terminal and look, but no matter what I see, it's going to make me still think the EMH is true. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Like as, as an Austrian, I endorse Mises' position that the basic structure of economic law 
is deduced in an a priori fashion from the action axiom, that's fine. But what I'm getting at is the defender of the EMH makes it look like they're saying, this is what we would expect to see, or this lends credence to our theory and versus other theories that rely on different outcomes. And so that's the part that if you just flat out say in the beginning, like Mises does, that, yeah, we don't need imperial confirmation for our theories, then fine. But then, you know, Mises doesn't go around and it's, ah, see, I told you so, kind of thing. All right. So likewise with the mask mandates. I don't know if I've actually said it out loud in this episode. I have my notes here, but I wasn't checking them off as I hit them. So let me just, in case I didn't say it yet, let me say it. Just to give you an example of what I mean just formally about how you can have an argument that has a true premise and a true conclusion and yet the argument is invalid is something like, what if somebody says, hey, the sun is hot and therefore two plus two equals four, All right? Both the premise and the conclusion of that argument are true and yet there's a sense in which that's not really a good argument. Yes, the sun is hot. Yes, two plus two equals four, but it's not that because the sun is hot, therefore I now see that two plus two equals four. All right, so that's, that's the very basic point I'm making here. So yeah, you can be against mask mandates, but when someone says, ah, whether I see low cases or high cases, that demonstrates mask mandates are a bad policy well then, at least one of those positions, you've done something a little bit suspicious. At least you would think it was suspicious when Krugman does it in his realm, okay? And that's true, even though I could agree with you that mask mandates are a bad policy regardless of what the caseload looks like. Okay, so that's the, the broccoli for today's episode. Where I told you what you needed to hear, but maybe what you didn't want to hear. But now let me give you the, the ice cream. So Michael Osterham, who is on Biden's task force for COVID-19, Michael Osterham has a podcast called SIDRAP. So that's an acronym for CID, RAP. For the, it stands for the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy. And that's a group that Osterham founded because he's at the University of Minnesota. He's the chair of their, I don't have his bio in front of me, you know, infectious disease and epidemiology research or something like that, right? So he's, he was a big, he was on Joe Rogan early on. I'll see if, if I can find that, folks. I'll put it in the show notes page. And so anyway, my wife and I have been listening to him from the early days of when this became a big deal for people. And uh, so anyway, so he's on Biden's, he's, you know, a top guy on his transition team for the virus. And Osterham recently gained notoriety amongst libertarians because he was the one who said we might need another four to six week lockdown to really get things under control and to, you know, spare the hospitals from getting overwhelmed. Something like that. So that's the guy I have in mind. On his podcast, on the June 2nd, 2020 episode, it's episode, what is this? Well, actually, it's either June 2nd or June 3rd. I see two different dates in this, so I don't know how it appears in the table of contents or the, or the archive. But it's called... Um, COVID-19 special episode, Masks and Science. And in that, Osterham bends over backwards to get the listener ready for the fact that he is going to deviate from his colleagues. And he explains why he is, at the very least, he is 
dubious about mask mandates, particularly real broad ones for the public that, you know, just mean like cloth masks, you know, not as opposed to does an N95 mask put on by a trained surgeon in ideal hospital conditions, does that on the margin matter versus whether he has no mask on? Like that's one question. It's another thing to say, yeah, if the government, you know, if the governor passes a rule saying everyone going into Walmart has to pull his t-shirt up over his nose and there's no enforcement mechanism, like, is that really the same thing? No. So you could see how, quote, masks work in one setting and not in the other. And so anyway, Osterholm, at, at the very least, is trying to temper our enthusiasm, our national, because remember, this was back in June when he released this episode where he's saying to his colleagues, you know, hey, don't hate me, but, you know, I'm looking at the literature. I don't think this is as well established as we seem to be telling the public here or government officials. Like, why, why are we putting so much faith in mask mandates? Okay, so you can go check that out and that'll give you a good talking point. Even Biden top infectious disease expert who's been recommending the lockdowns at the very least has to say no more mask mandates. Like, yeah, we're staying at home, but if we were to venture out to go get food or other essential items, why do we have to wear a mask? Because didn't you say? So of course, for the full story on Osterham and what he said about mask mandates, I'll refer you to the episode. So again, bobmurphyshow.com slash 164 if you want links to all this stuff, making a note to myself, make sure I don't forget to put that for you there. So, but just to give you a little taste. So here's a little snippet just so you can hear in his own words what he says. The issue of cloth masks has never been about me, about the message of cloth masks and what can they do and can't do to protect us from SARS-CoV-2. Some people will be upset with me for what I'm about to share with you. So be it. My message is about trying to protect as many people as we possibly can from this virus until we hopefully have a safe and effective vaccine. I'm speaking the words into this recording microphone as if I were talking to my own family, my close friends, the people I work with, SIDRAP, and of course, all of you too. First of all, let me just say at the outset, I am not an aerosol science expert. I work with some of the best aerosol science experts around. Theirs is a very technical discipline. These experts have tremendous experience in sophisticated laboratory or testing and have a detailed understanding of how respiratory protection devices work. They study how infectious agents spread in droplets and aerosols. The University of Minnesota happens to be blessed with some of the best aerosol science technology professionals in the world. And Dr. Lisa Brousseau, who is now a member of our SIDRAP team and formerly with the University of Illinois at Chicago and the University of Minnesota, is a recognized expert in aerosol science. She and her colleagues at the University of Illinois at Chicago and others have helped us better understand the role that cloth masks can play in protecting us from SARS-CoV-2. Please know that the vast majority of information you're hearing every day in the popular literature or even in the news about cloth masks is not coming from anyone with any expertise in aerosol science. It amazes me and disappoints me how many of my professional colleagues have no real understanding of aerosol science and the physics of respiratory virus transmission, but are willing to present themselves to the media as such experts. It would be like if I were brought to a computer science world, and because I have a PhD in environmental health, I could make apparent authoritative statements about computer science. A warning, you need to be very careful about who an expert is in this business. An MD or a PhD in disciplines other than aerosol science or respiratory protection, 
does not automatically make one an expert in these areas. Another challenge we face with understanding masks and respiratory protection is the increasing number of poorly conducted and adequately reviewed studies getting published in rapid succession. Some are being uh, widely distributed before they are reviewed and published. The media tends to jump all over them, assuming they provide newly found and definitive answers about mass protection. There is real confusion about the differences between an N95 respirator, a surgical mask, and a cloth mask, or as some call a face covering. The term medical mask has been used in many different ways. Some of the most dramatic statements about mass protection have been based on studies that included a small number of people. The authors of some of these studies make claims about their findings that are extrapolated to the world. Or there are modeling studies, which by now most of you have grown accustomed to appreciating their unreliability in predicting the number of new COVID-19 cases and deaths. And there you have it. So again, folks, Biden's transition team, what, he's not, I don't know if he's the point man, but he's up there for COVID-19, is saying to his colleagues back in June, hey, 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 let's be careful here before we rush headlong into embracing mask mandates. And I think also in leading the public to believe these things are going to be the silver bullet when no, they're not. So that's my parting gift to those of you who are nursing your wounds for me accusing you possibly of being like Paul Krugman. I realize that it was a harsh thing to say, but it's coming from me. It's coming from a place of love. Okay, folks, stay safe. Happy upcoming Thanksgiving, and I will see you next time. You've just experienced another episode of The Bob Murphy Show, the podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. For more information and to subscribe to this podcast, visit bobmurphyshow.com.